0: Acts chapter 4, This, uh, if you're first time with us today, we're in this series called Rooted. Rooted means this. The original church in the book of Acts, they had these practices, these rhythms, these habits, and we're trying to practice, put these into our life, the seven rhythms, so that our lives are rooted in them. Because it had some pretty dramatic effects in that first century church. And this last week, I know we're talking about prayer last week, right? And so I was with a group of guys as we did the prayer experience. And that's 90 minutes alone with God. And so our guys met here at church. At the end of the 90 minutes, we, we had dinner together right afterwards. And it, you know what the guy said? That wasn't long enough. Now, I don't know if they have kids at home and they didn't want to go home. But they're like, no, 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 I had more I wanted to talk to God about. And I, I thought that was just, I, I thought it was amazing. Um, I hope that you experience that in, in your time together. If you haven't done that experience yeah, so here we go. Today, I want to talk to you about the power, the power of encouragement. But we're going to start with this. When I was a kid, uh, do you ever remember pretending as a kid? I don't, I don't mean like you pretend you had a real lightsaber and you were fighting people. I mean, do you remember like pretending? Like when we were kids, my parents, they, um, they had rules for us as kids because they were good parents, Right. And uh, one of the rules was no TV until all your you know, homework's done, the chores are done, and you milk the cow. Or what? We didn't have a cow. But it was, that was the rule, right? But luckily for us, both my parents worked outside the house. Which meant like we just turned the TV on. We just knew we had to turn it off well before they got home because when my parents got home, right, they weren't dumb. They went to the TV and felt it, Right? You know, it wasn't one of those thin line ones that you're never going to be able to tell. It was one of those big alien spaceships. Oh, you kids have been watching TV. We pretended that we were honest. It's not the good kind of pretending, right? But if we're really honest right now, we all pretend as adults, don't we? Let me just give you an example. Um, you're arguing with your spouse, and someone walks up to you. You pretend like you're not arguing, Right? You walk into church this morning and you pretend like the family likes each other, even though you've been arguing all the way to church, right? You're talking to someone in a conversation. You say, oh, what do you do for a living? And they say something you have no idea what it just meant. And what do you say? That's amazing. And you pretend you know what people are talking about in a conversation. We do this all the time. Um... When the car is about to merge in in front of us, we pretend we don't notice them, right? Today in the lobby, you're gonna to talk to someone and you're like, I cannot remember their name. And like, I, I know I'm guilty of this more than anybody else in the room, right? Because like you see me and you think because I'm looking at you that I remember your name. I struggle to do this all the time, but I am a master of pretending, When you walk up to you, you're like, hey, buddy. So if I ever call you buddy, just help me out. Hey, by the way, pastor, my name's, all right? Because I hate to pull my ace card out and be like, have you met my wife, Kelly? Because then you have to go, oh, hi, my name is, and I got your name, right? Without looking like the fool that should know your name, but doesn't. Why do we pretend? We pretend so we don't look silly or we look unintelligent. We want people to think better of us than we deserve, so we pretend to know, we pretend to get it. We we pretend so that no one gets in front of us. We pretend because we think it's good for us, right? So I'm just going to say this. Pretending, when it comes to the church, the church is not a safe place to pretend. The church is not a safe place where you can show up and just fake it till you make it. Um, I'm going to read a story about how great the original church was, about how amazing they were together and how they loved each other. But I'm also going to read a story about how it's not safe to pretend when you're at church. And um, and by the way, before I go any farther, I'm not saying you should come in and keep fighting in church. I get it. You're, You're you shouldn't fight with your family in here. Like, you're just being polite to each other, and we appreciate it. We want you to like, save that for when you leave. <laughs> but at the same time, have you ever pretended to be religious or to be a follower of God or care in such a way when you just really don't? There's a warning against that, and the story I'm about to read you, if you are not familiar with the Bible, you're not going to believe me that this is actually in the Bible. Because this story actually makes God appear to be pretty ferocious and violent. And if you are familiar with the Bible, you're like, isn't that a story from the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament, God's like pretty harsh with people, but isn't Jesus like the God of love? And yes, he is. But there's something about this story that is in post-resurrection, right? It's, It's in the time of this early church, and yet it is still unbelievably violent. But let me start with this. It's the story of a man of encouragement. And the story goes like this. It's in chapter four, verse 32. Joseph, it's his name. A Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Question, did you ever have a nickname? I mean, back in school, did anyone give you a nickname? Most of the time, those are not flattering. You did something, said something, appeared a certain way, and they're like, oh, hey, and they gave you a nickname, and it's not something that you would really repeat, something that you've forgotten until I just brought it up just now. You're welcome. This guy's nickname, though, reveals he's like a superstar in the church. He's like the ultimate disciple. He's like everybody's favorite. He's called, well, his name's Joe, right? But he goes from Joe to Barnabas. I don't know if he had like a shirt under his toga, big old B, Barnabas, son of encouragement. This guy was so good at building other people up. He was so good at encouraging them. He was so good at making the most of an opportunity to see something in people that nobody else saw, to call that out of them, to just build people up with encouragement. He was so good at it that they changed his name. This act that he does, he owns this land, he sells it, brings it to the apostles. He's like, hey, y'all deal with it. It's all yours. I I sold this land, all that money is yours. You do whatever you want because I don't want there to be anybody who goes hungry, anyone without a, a place to stay, without shelter, anybody without clothes. Like you do whatever you have to do, apostles. You just, you take this and you help them. So you can tell where this is going, right? The scriptures highlight this great encourager Um, and I'm going to push this for our church to look the same. For you and me to be like Barnabas, to be encouragers. But see, here's the problem. I I can just have you walk out of here and just shoulder you with this big to-do. Hey, listen, let's all be like Barnabas, right? Let's all get shirts with a B on the front that's like, oh, super Barnabas. And I just shouldered you with a you have to do this. See, I, I don't think actually doing works of encouragement or trying to, to be more encouraging is actually that helpful because I think there's a series of things going on in the church that were primary to this. They happened before this. Let me, let me just read them to you because, and we'll start with this. My premise is this, that I think encouragement has the power to change the world. I'm gonna prove it to you this morning. Encouragement has the power to change the world. Number one, encouragement first though, expresses genuine love. It expresses genuine Love. If you look at where I read that from, 436, jump above that to verse 32, and it reads this way. All the believers were one in heart. If you have a paper Bible, underline that, one in heart, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. One heart, meaning they loved the same thing. They loved God. That's what united them together. Did you feel that in the minute that we were singing? When, when voices joined together as one to say, we love the Lord. We're shouting about what it is that he's done for us and who he is, and there's a unity that's there. I think encouragement begins with this. When you look around at the people around you and just go, our hearts are knit together as one. It starts with love. And so please, this morning, whatever you do, please don't ask the question, wow, who should I go encourage right now? I think the first question is this. Do you love people? I I don't say this enough. I love you guys. I really, truly do. Now, I don't know all 'all, y'all. I've been around for 20 years at this church. I know a lot of y'all. Can I just say I love you? Love this church. I, I don't just love my role and what I get to do here. I love seeing the hearts of the people that are at this church, how you encourage each other, how you sacrifice, how you build into relationships. I just love you all. So just start here. You actually love the people around you. And I know some of you are like, I don't know anybody around me. Well, there's your first step. Get to know the people that are around you with one heart and one mind. So that starts with this genuine love. Um, the second, though, it leads on to this. Once you love people, encouragement feels authentic compassion. Look at the very next verse, 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all all that were there, no needy person was among them. Um, Many people in this original church, I don't know if you know this, they showed up for a festival in town and the resurrection happened. And they're like, wow, wow, what, what just happened? They stayed around long past they, when they were due to go home. And then all of a sudden, Pentecost, 40 days later, that happens. And all of a sudden, this church explodes. There's thousands of people involved in the life of this church. And all the resources they brought to stay there for a little bit of time you know, you go on a road trip, you pack a certain amount of Slim Jims that'll get you through the trip, right? Those are gone. And all of a sudden, these people are like, well, we don't work here. We're trying to figure out how do we make it here. We're still, we're trying to be a part of this church. And Barnabas is like, I got some land. Sell that. Put it at the apostles' feet. Take care of those who who thought they were only going to be in Jerusalem for a little while and make sure that they're cared for. See, it starts with genuine love. But then it moves to this. It looks around at the people we claim to love, and it finds needs, and it says this. My heart of compassion reaches out. I'm going to do something because of the compassion that we have for each other. So I think the worst thing we can do today is walk out and say, how do I become more like Barnabas? I should, I should start encouraging people. Start with this. Do you love people? Maybe we should start with do you know people? Then <laughs> do you love people? And then this, when you find a need, do you have the heart of compassion that says, I care for people? This is where this starts. The third is this, and this is where Barnabas shows up. It says, from that time, uh, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody who had need. When When you love people, and all of a sudden there's compassion, it's this third thing. Encouragement shows real generosity. Just gave. He gave because he loved. Luke. He's the writer of this story in the book of Acts. He goes from that general situation, and then he tells the story of Barnabas, this son of encouragement, a superhero in the church. But here's where things get crazy. If that's the great model, he's about to tell a story that you will not believe that's actually in the story of the first church because it's a violent story, and a story where God responds swiftly To these two people who are pretenders. They're pretending to love people. They're pretending to have compassion, and they're pretending to have generosity. Here's the story. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this appears to be generous, right? But, but then we find out that this gift is not what it appears these people. They're pretenders. Look at verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias. And you would think like, hey, Ananias, maybe not fake like this is all the amount of money. Like you, you could have given whatever you wanted. You didn't have to give it all, but don't come and fake it as if you're giving everything when you're holding some back. Just come on, Ananias, be honest. But that's not what happens. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? I mean, think about it. Peter looks at me like, Ananias, you're the devil. Has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Ironically, Ananias' name, it actually means gift of the Lord. And he really messes up this gift to the Lord because he pretends to be generous, pretends to be compassionate, Pretends that he's really, really giving when he's holding some back. And, And by the way, this is what most commentators say is the real reason he suffered this penalty. It wasn't just one person faking it, but it was Ananias and his wife Sapphira who, through a conspiracy, said, let's fool the church. Let's pretend that we're just like Barnabas so that we can get a cool nickname too. The story goes on. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Like, think carefully, Sapphira. (laughs) She doesn't know her husband's dead. Like, think carefully. A A lot matters on the answer to this question. She says, yes, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you, here's the word, conspire, to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. No kidding, fear seized the church. Can you imagine what church was like the following Sunday? Peter's like, let's take an offering. (laughs) Goes up to each couple thank you. Thank you. Are you sure that's a tithe? Tithe means 10%. I mean, can you imagine like people like giving money to the church and like running away because they're afraid? Like, can I be really, really clear on this? I I, I do not think that God wants us walking around in fear that he's going to strike us dead. Because to some degree, can I just say this? We all pretend at certain times. We pretend we read our Bibles. We pretend we pray. We pretend we come in church and worship God. And sometimes we're kind of just going through the motions of it. We pretend to love people at times. And I don't think God wants to... Have us walk around in fears if we're afraid that God's just going to strike us dead because we're pretending. Because truth be told, listen, every single one of us, myself included, we struggle with sin. We struggle with it. It's hard. There's no perfection this side of heaven. It only comes on the other side of heaven. So does that make me a pretender that during the week I struggle with sin, but when I come in here, I, I, I preach a message? Or you come in here and you sing songs, maybe lift your hands, you open your Bibles, and are you pretending? No, no, there's a genuine struggle in life that ends the other side of heaven, okay? This, though, was a conspiracy to say, we're going to fake everybody else out and we're going to pretend to be like Barnabas and maybe they'll hold us in that kind of esteem that they held him. Are you with me? I don't want to unintentionally make people walk away in fear today. But I do have two questions. Um, One is like, why did God do this? I mean, there was like a miraculous instant reply to like, you're gonna pretend? Boom, done, over, smoked. My other question though is this, why doesn't God still do that today? I'm not asking him to do it to me. Right? Right? And you're not asking him to do it to you, but like, we know this kind of conspiracy stuff happens and it's why the reputation of the church sometimes gets destroyed in public eye because of the conspiracy to hide things and cover it up and be dishonest about things. Why doesn't God do that more? The answer to both those questions is, I don't know. I don't know why he did it back then. I don't know why he doesn't do it more today. But I hope it opens our eyes to say this, what God wants as authentic worshipers and authentic followers and true, authentic encouragers in the church, where we look around and we don't think that, hey, what's everybody got for me? But we look around at each other to say, how do I bless the people around me, God, in the, of, in the name of Jesus? So what threatens the life, the community life of a church? I think it's people who are just pretending, pretending to be encouragers, So how powerful is encouragement? I'm gonna say it this way. It's the title of all of this. I think encouragement has the power to change the world. You see, at this point, I wanna go back to the story of Barnabas because he wasn't in even close to being done. If you go through the story of the church, flip over a couple pages in the book of Acts, you you get and you start seeing that, oh, there's this guy, Stephen. Well, he was arrested and he was killed and persecuted. And when Stephen was killed, there was a guy there standing, watching over, giving approval. His name is Saul. Saul, he was like super intense about persecuting the church. He would travel from town to town trying to arrest people and send them to jail. Not just any people, Christians. He was going to try to single-handedly shut the church down. God confronts him on a road. I'm going to super condense this story, okay? God confronts him on a road, blinds him physically, leaves him that way for days until another man comes and prays for him. And these, it says, scales fall from his eyes and he can see again. This is Saul's story. And it's in that moment that Saul's like, I am going to be a follower of God. And he gets a name change too. He goes from Saul to Paul. And he's like, I want to I meet these apostles. I want to meet these disciples. I want to meet Peter. I want to meet James. I want to meet John. He goes to Jerusalem to meet them. And he, he runs across some Christians. He says, hey, would you tell Peter, James, and John and the whole group there? I, I, I got to get to know them. And they're like, yeah, right. You want us to show you where the apostles are, the leaders of the church, so you, Saul, Because that name change doesn't fool anybody. We know inside you're still Saul, right? So you can take him. That is, um, that's until Barnabas stands up for him. If you follow along, point number four is this encouragement stands with the undeserving. Paul didn't deserve to be a part of this group of elite believers. look at what happens. This is in Acts chapter 9 verse 27. It says, but Barnabas took him, Paul, and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Somehow Barnabas had seen him. This is the guy who like was coming to arrest people. And in Damascus, instead of arresting him, he starts preaching in the name of Jesus, converting people to something that he just learned about. Barnabas stood up for him when he could have just been silent, but his story is actually not over. The gospel spreads north up to this town called Antioch, and this is the location where it's the first place that believers of Jesus were ever called Christians. Before that, they were known as the people of the way. And the thing about Antioch that was unique was there were Gentile believers there. There was mostly Gentile believers because up until that point, it was all these Jewish people converting to the Christian faith. And the, the, the council in Jerusalem, Peter, James, John, and those guys, they're like, wait, 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 wait. There's more people like Gentiles in this church than Jewish people? Like, what is happening? So who do they send up there? News of this reached the church. This is Acts eleven twenty two. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas. Why? Dude's an encourager. He's going to pastor this church, Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad, and oh, underline this, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. See, Barnabas was the kind of guy that speaks words of hope. And I just say this? If we're going to be the kind of encouragers that Barnabas was, we have to be speaking words of hope to people. Some of us are better at giving gifts or showing up in difficult times. But can can I say this? We just got to speak words of hope sometimes. There's enough discouragement in our world that I think our world is looking for people who will just speak words of hope. But Barnabas, um, he's not even done yet. He's looking at this church in Antioch, and he's pastoring this church, and he's like, you know who'd be really good at this? Paul. See, Paul, after he went to the council in Jerusalem, he goes away for years and he's studying and learning and, and, and growing as a believer. And Barnabas goes and gets Paul, brings him to the Antioch church and says, Paul, I think you do a great job at pastoring this church. What he does is this, encouragement provides opportunities. Listen to what, how this goes. 11.25, then Barnabas, he took, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. When I was 18 years old, I finally, for the first time in my life, got serious about my faith as an adult. It was the first time in my life where every day I just sat with the word of God and said, God, help me. God, grow me. God, teach me. God, show me. You know what happened that same summer that... God was really opening my heart to him. Someone gave me an opportunity. They said, you see this group of middle school guys? They're, they're a disaster because they're middle school boys. They didn't listen to anybody in the youth group, and they are just kind of wild and crazy. They said, that's your group. I was like, okay, let, let's go. I had no idea what I was doing, but someone gave me an opportunity to love on that group of people, and they said, hey, we've watched you a little bit. Why don't you give the talk this week? I'm like, give the talk this week? So I did. And can I just be honest? That whole summer, I gave some really foolish talks. <laughs> I mean, some stuff that was unpolished, not good, but you know what? It didn't matter because it was an opportunity that people were handing me to say, why don't you grow up to the leader that we see in you? Um, I've had an amazing group of people throughout my life. Some of them built into me and other people, you know what they did? They're just like, you know what? go try this, and they just gave me an opportunity. Um, I wonder if there's people around you that just need an opportunity. Can I speak to all of you who work in the marketplace? Giving someone else an opportunity is not the way things are usually done. You see, if you give them an opportunity, what if they do it better than you? You see, what if that actually takes money from you? What if you give someone an opportunity and they outgrow the position they're in or outgrow the company or they hit their ceiling and they're like, hey, I'm out to this other company. Because honestly, aren't we in a marketplace where everybody's looking out for themselves? People move into the Bay Area. I'm gonna make my killing here financially, get my stocks, go to another place where I can afford a home, right? So why would I look out for an opportunity to bless somebody else with? I don't know. I just don't think it should happen just here in the church. See, I I don't think preaching should be about what we do here together on Sunday morning. I think it's about what we do together out there Monday through Friday as well. Is there somebody at your place that just needs an opportunity to say, I think I see this in you, why don't you try this? And even if they fail, you can still encourage them and give them another chance. I just wonder if you've had people in your life who have given you opportunities. I wanna shift to this final story of Barnabas Paul and Barnabas, they take this missionary journey. They're like, you know what we should do? We should travel. And it says that the Holy Spirit sets them apart. And they go north through Turkey and then through the north uh, east part of uh, the Mediterranean. And they start telling people about Jesus. And people start, they start starting these churches all over the place because they're sharing the story of Jesus. And people are like, I think that's true. And all of a sudden they start planting churches everywhere. Well, when they left, Barnabas had a cousin, and his name was John Mark. And John Mark went with them, and we're not sure why, but somewhere along the journey, whether John Mark got tired or homesick or had a girlfriend back home who wanted him to come home, we we don't know. But John Mark bails on him. He's like, peace out, gone. And we don't know why, but it bothered Paul. So later on, after this whole first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul are talking again, and they're like, you know, we should do that trip again, road trip number two, and we're going to go visit all the churches that we started, and Barnabas says, you know what we should do? Let's do that, and um, let's take John Mark with us and give him a second shot. Paul goes, you know, I, I don't think it's a really good idea. I mean, When someone bails on you once, isn't that their character? I mean, kind of showed who he is. He's just not a guy who's tough enough to do what we do. And legitimately so. I mean, Paul and and Barnabas, they got kicked out of towns. They got beaten. They got chased. And sometimes they were running from town to town for their lives, right? And maybe John Mark's like, I'm not cut out for this kind of thing. Look at number seven. Here's what I love about Barnabas. Barnabas, the encouragement invites restoration. Here's their story. It's Acts sixteen thirty six. 36. Acts 16, 36. Barnabas wanted to take John, John Mark, also called Mark with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, who was also his cousin, by the way, took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. wait a minute, Paul, let me get this straight. You killed Christians and Barnabas stood beside you as the undeserving person and vouched for you. And now that Barnabas is vouching for his cousin, John Mark, he's like, you know what, guys, I bailed early. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Now that he's doing that for you, Paul, you're unwilling to give him another chance. Really, Paul? And Paul won't. He just won't give in. And so they part ways. Barnabas takes his cousin, John Mark. Paul takes Silas with him. And they all go do their work, and it's like the church just blesses them. Okay, if you can't get along, then go do your own ministry, and God bless you all in it. I love the fact that for Barnabas, encouragement invites restoration because it begs this question, who was right? Barnabas or Paul? In 2 Timothy chapter four, verse 11, Paul is writing to Timothy, another protege. Listen to what he writes. He's telling him, hey, I want you to go do this. Get me, get me my scrolls in here and bring them to me, get my coat. And then he writes this, get Mark, he's referring to John Mark, and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. This is decades later, somehow in the midst of this Paul looked at the work that Barnabas did alongside John Mark and those two together. And he's like, no, I guess he really was the real deal, Barnabas. You were right. Barnabas. Barnabas had a major impact on the first century church. Um, So here's what's interesting. Have you ever read the gospel of Mark? Who wrote that? I mean, some scholars are unclear. They're like, we don't really know it because it never says. Like the book of uh, Luke, who wrote that? Well, it says in the opening chapters, like, well, hi, this is Luke and I'm writing this book, right? But the book of Mark, it actually doesn't say who wrote it. But in the first century and the second century, it is attested that the leadership of the church says, John Mark wrote that gospel. Let me see if I get this right. When someone asks the question, who changed the first century church more than anyone else? Most people say Paul, right? Oh, Paul, he it's the New Testament, half of Acts and all the rest of this. He wrote a lot of letters. He, he did that. Let me just state this. You don't get Paul without Barnabas. You don't get Paul, the one who changed a lot of the area in the Mediterranean. You don't get him without Barnabas standing up for him in front of the other believers to say, no, I think he's legit. Let's give him a chance. You don't get the gospel of Mark without Barnabas. Because unless he stands up and says, no, don't quit, young man. There's more in you. You can do it again. You can do it better this time. We don't get the gospel of Mark and we don't get Paul. I think the person who changed the first century of the church more than anyone else is this man of encouragement named Barnabas. And yet from here on out in the book of Acts, you never hear of him again. Behind great leaders are people of encouragement, bolstering them up. Who did it for you? Who was your encourager? Do you remember? It might've been your third grade teacher. Hopefully you had parents who bolstered you up. Grandparents. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was your community group. But someone who called out the best in you. I want to be those kind of people, don't you? I don't need a nickname, do you? You don't need a big B t-shirt, do you? Because the life we get to live by calling out the best in other people It's an amazing reward to see what God can do when we encourage people. So let me just wrap this up with this. Please don't just go out and try to be an encourager. Would you ask this first? God, would you give me a love for people? Would you give me a community of people that are around me that I can get to know? And not just God, give them to me. I'm going to go find them and build relationships. And God, would you give me a heart to love? And and as I get to know these people and I love them, would you give me eyes to see the needs around me? Because the needs are great. And when I see the need, God, would you give me a heart of compassion? And at that moment, when I love them and compassion lives in me, God, would you give me words of hope? Would you give me generosity that I don't look at my life and all the things that I have as my own, but I hold everything loosely to say, God, whatever I have is yours. Help me to use it as you see fit. In that church, encouragement builds people up. Don't you want to be that kind of church? I think that's what God has called us to. I also know this. I think there's some people that are here this morning that trying to be an encourager is probably the farthest thing from your mind, and here's why. It's because you came just desperate for encouragement. I didn't plan on doing this, but I'm going to do this anyways. Um, if you need encouragement today, can we just offer someone to pray for you? I'm just going to have some people, they, they don't know I'm doing this, but uh, Kelly, would you just step in the back? David Noelia, I think I saw you in the balcony. Would you just make yourselves available in the balcony? Larry, would you make yourself available in Mike? Mike and Sonny, would you make yourselves available in the back? Do you need someone to pray for you today? Can I just invite this? If you want somebody to pray for you, just, they're available. During this next worship song, and our band will come out here right now, and um, I just want to give an opportunity for you to get encouraged by them. Now, listen, listen. Guys in the back that I just called back there, men and women, like, I, I'm not asking you to speak all these words of hope. Here's how this works, right? Would you just walk back there and say, um, could you pray for me about this? And you don't have to tell them the whole story. It could be like a five second, hey, pray for me because I'm discouraged at work. And maybe that's what it is. They pray for me because uh, my, my family's kind of broken right now. And then folks that I've asked to stand up, leaders, would you just pray for people? It doesn't have to be this prophetic announcement that God gives you about their life. You're just gonna pray for them. Felicia, would you join them back there and pray for somebody? Listen, I don't know what's going on in your world, but today, if we're gonna be people of encouragement, I was just wondering if we could practice this together. Y'all with me? Stand with me for just a moment. Father, I just pray for us in this moment that, I know that there's some of us who need encouragement today and we just wanna make the most of this. To be honest and not be pretenders like everything's okay, but to be very um, just vulnerable in this time to say, pray for me about this. Father, I know that there are great Christians in this room that have walked with you for years and I pray that they would step out In the weeks to come and become a voice of encouragement, giving people opportunity, letting restoration happen through them, giving people new chances, and in in the workplace, giving people opportunities. Lord, whatever that looks like, give us hearts to love, people of compassion who will be generous with our words, generous with what we have, God. Pray you'd use us to be a church of encouragement. If you want that, would you simply say, amen.